Top Water Crew here. We're just still trying to get our heads around what happened on day three of that first Australia-India test. And what better way to do it than call in one of the best cricket writers in the business to help us make sense of it all. Formerly with the Indian Express and now with Crick Buzz, our guest is an, also a Penguin Random House author, publishing the Dhoni Touch in 2018. He's currently joining us from Melbourne as he prepares for the Boxing Day test. Bharat Sundaresan, welcome to the Top Water Podcast. Oh, thank you so much, guys. That was a very, very sweet welcome. And yeah, here we are in crazy 2020 doing crazy things. Yeah, well, I mean, there's no better way to start then than uh, that crazy first test. I mean, two days in, it seemed like we were really poised for a, a tight contest. And then just in a few crazy, incredible overs, all the predictions went out the window. And I mean, has the reality of that second innings sunk in for you? Not at all. I have not even gotten time for it to sink in, you know, because, yeah, like you guys said, on that third morning, I was gearing up for a great test finish. I was like, wow, India ahead by 62 runs. Uh, the ball's still doing stuff. Maybe they'll get bowled out for 150, 160. Then Australia, like, you know, look to chase down 220. And, and as cricket journalists, uh, we all are the same. We all wish for a three-day finish, which yeah. never happens. We want the two days off. <laughs> but, you know, the way that test match was headed, we knew day five would be difficult, but none of us, or I had absolutely no idea, no clue how that was going to play out. And in a way, guys, but we are lucky that it played out the way it did, because if the game hadn't finished that day the way it did, uh, that might have been the end of the series for me because I had been in Sydney after December 11th covering the warm-up game mm-hmm. uh, and the borders shut, uh, like Victoria shut their borders with for whoever had been in New South Wales uh, on Sunday night. So if the day, game hadn't finished on Saturday and lasted the distance, that would have been it for me. So in a way, thank you, India. Yeah, yeah. well, that's that's good, I guess. Uh, we, we've got to take some positives to that from, from an Indian point of view. I mean, so you were at the ground. Did you manage to get a glimpse of the Indian camp as all those wickets were tumbling? What, what was going on? Like mad rush for the, the pads and all that stuff? <laughs> oh, no, I, I'm a good journalist, guys, which means uh, I'm an eavesdropper and a stalker. <laughs> so my binoculars were always like, you know, uh, turned towards the Indian dugout uh, or whatever little I could see. They, they were all in shock. At one point, I remember, I think it was Ashwin, uh, who's like scrambling down, just trying to get ready because mm-hmm. things were happening so quickly. And like I said, it was a crazy morning. Like the moment we entered, uh, there was a security lady, which had, we heard a list of like, you know, uh, all the suburbs in New South Wales, which had been affected. So she was asking me, oh, have you been to any of these? I said, ah, no, 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 I haven't. And she, I asked her, what would happen if I had been? Oh, we just call the cops and they take you to a motel oh, and you quarantine. Oh my God. Yeah. So that's the thought I went with up to the press box. And by the time, and, and India actually had a long huddle that morning. It was a seven minute huddle. I, I, I counted actually the time uh, or just calculated the time. And Virat Kohli spoke for five minutes and I nobody would have known that that would have been his last day of the tour. And it was all gearing up perfectly. And then like, you know, Jaspreet Bumrah gets out and we're still talking about, oh, our travel plans to Melbourne. When do we go? When do we leave? And then Pujara goes. And you're still like, ah, well, whatever, good ball, great ball. Mm-hmm. Next over, Agarwal's gone. Next door, And you're like, wait, I think we should be watching this game a little more keenly. So that's when the binoculars came out. And I'm looking at the Indian camp. Like I said, Ashwin's running down. Everybody's just like, they were just in shock. I think they're still in shock. Mm-hmm. I'm still in shock. Like, you know, you don't get to see collapses like that. It was uh, a new for me. I saw England collapse for 67 last year during the Ashes. But 36 all out. At some point, you kept thinking, look, something's going to happen here. One part 
partnership, right? And especially that Virat Kohli dismissal when uh, he stood around uh, to see if Cambrian had taken the catch cleanly. We've been in those positions before, right? I knew, ah, that's it. Definitely the ball would have been grounded. This is it. Kohli is going to stick around and India is going to make a game of it. But it just didn't stop the rot. It was just amazing. And what did you make as a whole of their Indian batting performance in the second innings? Obviously, 36 all out or 36 for nine is not an ideal scenario for them. But, but what do you put it down to? Was it maybe a bit of lack of application from their top six batters or were Cummins and Hazelwood just far too good on the day and, and they, every ball that the Indian guys got had their name on it? I think it's more the latter than the former guys. And, and I'm not even trying to make excuses for the Indian team here because, A, I'm an Australian correspondent, by the way. <laughs> so, no, but even honestly, I think this, what happened, like right now, everybody's talking about 36 all out. But retrospectively, I'm very sure this will be looked back at as the one of the greatest spells of seam bowling ever. Because, you know, we've seen bowlers, like, historically, yeah, they'll have a great... What, what do you constitute as a great spell? Yeah, oh, he's been beating the bat so much. Oh, he, if only he had a little more luck, he would have had a couple of wickets, is what you would generally say about a great spell. But here, there were no plays and misses. Like, in the sense, every time they pitched it and got the Indians to play at it, they got the edge, the catch was taken. So I think this, this is just the kind of spell that um, a bowler dreams of. And then you had two at either end having these dream spells. And if you look at the dismissals, the deliveries that Pujara got or Bihari got or even Agarwal got, I think most batsmen would have gotten out to those. Ajinkya Rahane maybe could have moved his front foot a little uh, down the pitch, but he is jittery early on, like a lot of batsmen. Uh, Virat Kohli's shot, yeah, I mean, you could criticize it, but, you know, at that point, I thought he was just, I expected him to go on the counter-attack. So, I don't know what to put it down to. I just think it was extraordinary bowling. And, um, like, you know, it was like, in the Indians were a little like a kangaroo, like, you know, in front of the headlights. Mm-hmm. They didn't know what hit them, but, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't, I think it's kind of easier to, in my opinion, to get over a defeat of this nature, where it's just shock rather than a grinding, debilitating defeat where the team is just like, you know, scored 600 runs and you've been bowled out. Because if you look at the session-wise breakdown, which a lot of broadcasters like to do, India dominated that test match, Mm. right? In many Mm. ways. And it was all blown away in 92 minutes. And what's been the talk out of the Indian camp since? I mean, I I imagine they'll be keen to put that 36 for nine down as an aberration and and move on. But there are some things that they'll need to have a look at and maybe make adjustments taking away from that game. And you mentioned all of the catches went to hand for Australia in that second innings, not quite the same in Australia's first batting innings for India. Yeah, I think that is what really, really hurt them. Because in in, in cricket, you can have a a horrid day with the bat, like a team, you've not seen days as horrid as the ones experienced on Saturday at the Adelaide Oval but it's the catches that really really hurt them uh, because Australia managed to uh, what, keep the uh, keep the lead, India's lead down to 53 but if Manas's catches were taken, even a couple of them or even one of them and Tim Payne's drop was extremely expensive right, mm. like he managed to put on 80 for the last uh, two or three wickets and the momentum kind of shifted towards um, uh, Australia as a result and also if those catches had been taken yes India would have been sitting on a handsome lead or a much bigger lead and also they would have gotten to bat uh, not just under lights they would have got some daylight to bat under so maybe they would have had a better start to their innings so the catches really really hurt them and and you know 
when it's india's ground fielding has improved dramatically in the last 10 15 years i mean we've seen some extraordinary fielders uh, come out of india uh, but when when you see a team dropping catches like sitters the way they are you have to start thinking about i mean it can't be technique at the highest level right it has to be mental so uh, again i'm not making excuses but this is a team which has been in um, a state of lockdown a lot of these players for months now in, starting from india when the virus hit uh then in the uae then over here yeah i mean they've had a lot of freedom in australia they've been very very fortunate to be here for sure uh, but uh, i don't know i think it's more a mental thing just the way they've been dropping catches uh batting wise i guess they'll just have want to forget about this but the departure of virat kohli opens the door for shubman gill someone who doesn't come into the next test with any baggage and look red ball mcg uh the pitch is a lot different they india did have a scheduled practice session yesterday at the adelaide oval but it got rained off so i think you know you know it's not a bad thing they come to melbourne they come go to the mcg tomorrow morning fresh fresh start and it's a venue where they more or less sealed the series last time around so i think india will really want to look forward to i mean that's as cliched as it sounds uh but you know it opens the doors for a lot of selection questions of course the in back home in india people are calling for wholesale changes they want rahul dravid to be shipped off to australia to be batting coach but well it's not possible in 2020 the way it is uh so i mean this also the rohit sharma question i don't think he will be uh, definitely won't be ready for the second test but uh, he is suddenly being spoken of of a savior um, come the third test regardless of where that's played but there will be changes but wholesale changes maybe not but you know in all this what has also been lost is the loss of mohammad shami mm. which i think is at some level worse than 36 for 9 uh because he was that he was the number 11 it, the innings ended with his arm being broken now as we know it's fractured and he's flying back so india have lost ishan sharma who was their control bowler mohammad shami who's your enforcer uh, and kohli was going 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 home anyway so yeah they have been driven into a hole uh but i guess all they can look forward to is melbourne and happy memories from 2 years ago yeah what you you mentioned that there's been that massive call for wholesale changes what do you what do you make of that like are we overreacting too much because yeah there's been calls of uh, um jadeja to be back for punt to come in for um gill as you said and just yeah all these guys like vahari to be dropped and it just seems on on the outside i mean obviously that was a a really bad performance but it it does seem like maybe they're just getting a little bit too excited as you say they would you know on top of that test for five sessions yeah exactly and and no i mean indian fans are very very reactive i mean india is is reactive as a country we all are i mean we wear our emotions uh on our sleeves on our collars everywhere like we are an emotional lot just watch a bollywood movie if you don't believe me <laughs> so uh, you know we we get very sentimental about a lot of things especially cricket and i'm not surprised that people are calling for wholesale changes but having followed this team especially this team management the way they function uh i don't think they will panic so soon so prithvi shaw for example people are calling for the 21 year old's head like you know we you guys would remember his innings in christchurch he made 60 or and he looked great mm. on a tricky pitch mm. um 10 months ago and he got really able during the second innings from pat cummins um second ball Ma- mitchell stark just some just a little swing going through the gap in the first inning so do you drop someone that you've invested in for long term after one bad performance 
I wouldn't think so. Shubman Gill will come in regardless now that Virat Kohli is going. Just a question of where he bats. I think he'll just fit into number four. But Hanuma Vihari batted number four in all four innings in the in India's warm-up game. So maybe they might stick with him. That remains to be seen. But um, I think dropping Vihari would also be unfair. The only question is if India do think that Ravindra Jadeja is fit. Like I saw him go from sprinting to batting in the nets to even bowling in the middle before the day's play uh, on Saturday. So if he is fit, then do you actually consider him as a batting all-rounder? Because his batting has really um, come along in the last couple of years. I mean, he of course, we know he made three triple hundreds in Ranji Trophy in domestic cricket. But in the last couple of years, he's averaged a lot with the bat. So Maybe, and he is the kind of cricketer, he's, he was in great form before he got injured and concussed. Uh, but, you know, he, he comes in with great form. So, does he just come in as a batting all-rounder? I'm not ruling that out yet. Uh, but Riddhiman Saha, I mean, I'm a huge Riddhiman Saha fan just for how he is on the field and, you know, how good he is with the gloves. But great. he did not have a flash. Like he wasn't the best behind the wickets and like yeah that shot in the second innings was, was forgettable so just for that reason maybe Rishabh Pant would come in but wholesale changes maybe not and you, you mentioned Prathvi Shaw before um yeah obviously like we um I remember we was we've been you know talking about him before the IPL and we were you know really expecting big things there I mean he did really make an impression when he was in New Zealand but now it feels like he it, it sort of feels like um, how we were looking at Jeet Raval for New Zealand last summer uh, when basically yeah. it felt like the Australians just had figured him out and they, they'd they kind of got in his head and, and they were just talking about him. And, and I, I know uh, there was a Mitchell Stark, I think, said, you know, that the lunches are great at, at Melbourne. or so, I can't remember the exact sledge, but it was fantastic, basically saying you won't be playing at Melbourne and, and this is your last game. Is, is Prithvi Shaw kind of equipped to, to deal with that? How, how is his... You know, mental state on that side of things. Oh, I, you know what? Like, and we in like I'm from Bombay originally, and uh, I was cricket covering cricket in Bombay for a long time. Uh, we like you know we've covered Prithvi Shaw from the time he was five or six. Like you know we've been writing about him. So he is a child prodigy. Mm. And one thing that really stands out about him is he's fearless, and that's one thing the team management really appreciates about him. Uh, and by fearless, I mean he will not get affected by things that people say to him or even a performance like that. And I mean it in a good way. I'm not saying he doesn't care, mm. but he's just made out of that uh, kind of cloth where he, it won't affect him. To, like, like he won't like, you know, go to sleep having nightmares about Mitchell Stark or Pat Cummins. He will back himself to overcome whatever happened in Adelaide in Melbourne. And that's, that's how he ha- always has been. Batting is something he's done uh, he spent most of his life doing like most of his 21 years has been spent batting from the time he was three or four. So I don't see mental scars in Prithvi Shaw. Maybe some others, I don't know, but not definitely not in Prithvi Shaw. We've only got a few days before the Boxing Day test in Melbourne. Plenty of food for thought for the Indian selectors, not least of which is having to replace both Virat Kohli and Mohammad Shami, who will be forced replacements. Kohli going home and now Mohammad Shami with a broken arm. Who do you think will come into that side uh, from an Indian selector perspective? So putting on your hat of the Indian selectors, who's going to come in for Mohammad Shami? And you've already picked Shubman Gill as a, a straight replacement for Virat Kohli instead of KL Rahul? Uh, yeah, and please, like, I will not keep that selector's hat on for too long because <laughs> it comes with a lot of brick bags. <laughs> so an Indian selector is something I'd never want dream of being because it's not easy. 
it definitely is not <laughs> so uh, but just for uh, uh, 30 seconds i'll spend as an indian selector or in one uh, in the shoes of an indian selector i'll say yes shubman gill comes in for sure uh, mohammed siraj really impressed uh, with the red ball and the pink ball in the two games uh, so looks like he will come in and i thought he bowled really well in the black town practice game as well where i was crawling through the bush and um uh, uh, evading brown snakes to watch them practice through the net like <laughs> that's like what, a month back <laughs> so i think he looks like he has uh, gone up in the pecking order ahead of navdeep saini so he comes in but i'm not ruling out um, a teen natarajan debut maybe not in melbourne but sometime during this test series right now he is still in Uh, as part of the reserves like he's just a net bowler alongside shardul thakur and young kartik tyagi but just the way he's been bowling in the nets to kohli pujara rahane and just the way the tour has gone he was supposed to be in no squad but he's played t20 cricket one day cricket uh, who knows like you know maybe there is a test to be there but maybe not at uh, the mcg for now gill and siraj for sure but maybe there could be an opening for jadeja as well and um, i mean going back to to that game and you touched on a little bit before the pitch what did you make of that pitch because um i mean over here in new zealand there's been a lot of chat around pitches because i guess uh, you know a lot of countries come here our pitches are very different pakistan have mentioned it on their series and and um west indies did the same that 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 pitch in adelaide it, it seemed a little un-australian for the first couple of days lion was getting a lot of spin I heard talk that the ground staff were leaving more on on more grass on than usual to to help look after the pink ball. Are you expecting sort of to go back to the you know that what we expect from an Australian pitch for the rest of the series? I would think so, but the pitches in Australia these days have become so different to what they used to be. Like the MCG has been, in fact, has got a bad reputation in the last few years where it became too flat. I mean, we saw the last uh, or last year's Boxing Day test against New Zealand where. it had something in it for the fast bowlers which was a refreshing change uh, and and of course tom blundell made that wonderful 100 mm. dinty on the last day of the test uh, where your know, kiwi fans were created quite the atmosphere uh, at the mcg or around the mcg so uh, i think in, like you know that's the kind of pitch you might get uh, but the adelaide oval pitch was strange i think it was the most sanitized pitch um i've ever seen for a pink ball test at in adelaide because like you said it was turning uh, the bounce was odd uh, mm-hmm. like the ball, some balls had carry some balls in but it really quickened up on that third day uh and i just had a word with the curators on the sidelines after the test and they seemed a little surprised with how quick it had become as well so they expected the ball to do a little more on the first two days it definitely did not uh but that pitch like and the bounce did get a little uneven so it 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 yeah it was a, it was a strange pitch to be honest uh but uh, uh but a fair pitch i think we saw some really good cricket uh, i think the mcg hopefully doesn't go back to its old self where it was really really flat but one thing is it, to beat a subcontinental team in australia it's always good to play them on a flat pitch because your bowlers know better how to take pitch, wickets on a flat pitch than the visiting team so uh, that's always an advantage uh, that australia carry and um i mean you're talking to to two spinners here so we we do have to uh, mention that awesome little um, battle between lion and, and pujar on on that day one it was yeah great viewing absolutely loved watching that and and seeing it it really seemed like lion was in pujar's head a little bit there 
Oh, absolutely. And that was the battle that really set up the India-Australia series two years ago. Um, and Pujara got the better of Lyon last time around. And historically, it's been a great battle. 2014-15, Lyon had the upper hand. Pujara changed his technique. He went more offside. He was using his feet a lot more, which he tried to do um, in Adelaide as well. But just by putting that silly point in, and that position came in for a lot of you guys would remember two years ago, a lot of people, experts were like, why aren't they using the silly point more? So they did have it in place. It kind of seemed to have some effect on Cheteshwar Pujara. And yeah, and, and you know, even Lion and Kohli, they constantly seemed, seemed to be a competitive net that they were having. They were yeah. constantly in each other's ears. And I'm sure you guys would have enjoyed Ashwin to Manas as well. Mm, because absolutely. Ashwin has had interesting visits to in Australia in the past, but he was getting, uh, and I'm sure, like as two spinners, you would have really appreciated the overspin he was getting on the ball, which is not very Ashwin. And the, the way he set Steve Smith up, the two balls where Steve Smith couldn't reach to the pitch of the ball. And like any batsman, he tried to play uh, the third one off the back foot and that the top spinner just bounced a little, got the outside edge. I think it was fascinating viewing, just uh, watching the two off spinners. And, and look, it was only the second time in test history that you had two off spinners with more than 350 wickets facing each other. So it was that, I think, before the 36 all out, for me, really stood out was Lyon uh, to Kohli and Pujara and Ashwin to Manas. Yeah, I mean, you recently wrote an, an excellent article about uh, Ravi Ashwin and you, you talked about him wanting to evolve his game. Is that um, is that addition of the of the more overspin in his repertoire something that that he's evolved specifically to to play in Australia? I feel like for the, for the Indian team, if they're going to be competitive in Melbourne and particularly in Sydney, Ravi Ashwin is going to be massively important to their ability to knock Australia over quickly and skittle them for you know under two fifty three hundred like they did in that first innings in Adelaide. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And that is Ashwin. I mean, I, I called him a spin scientist in my copy. Mm-hmm. And, and that is what that is who he has been over the years. He's never scared of experimentation. Like me, he is a Tamilian. He comes from the southern part of the country. Uh, and we are like, you know, to stereo, like, you know, speaking of stereotypes, we're supposed to be the academicians. Like, you know, <laughs> I'm not. He definitely is. <laughs> but, uh, but he goes about his spin bowling like it is. Uh, like he is a scientist, like he is an academician. Uh, he's always constantly working on it. And it's been a criticism of him in the past where, um, like, you know, experts or people who understand spin bowling have always wondered why he's not been able to develop that overspin um, like Nathan Lyon has. But I, I've been seeing, following him in the nets leading up to this test match. And you could see that even in the warm up game at Dramoyne, he had developed, uh, he, was, he had this exaggerated. Uh, movement of the elbow just before the load up and uh, to almost just cock his wrists and you could see that he was working on it Um, and that's going to be Ashwin throughout like you know for however long he plays cricket he'll always keep evolving he'll always keep working on uh, like you know his deliveries he practices a lot of leg spinners as well leg breaks as well he has the carom ball he has the dusra he has all sorts of deliveries but I think the control he showed with that overspin um ensured that like you know he, he ran through the Australian middle order and like you guys correctly said uh, happy Ashwin and um, an Ashwin who who's really found his rhythm early on in a series is a great sign for India uh, uh, you know and he's been working on his batting as well it didn't work out too well for him in this test but yeah and if he starts contributing with the bat as well that would be a huge boost for India as well. 
Someone pointed out to me in the lead-up to the first test, the, the stats comparison, averages and strike rate between Ravi Ashwin and Nathan Lyon. And it really surprised me that, that uh, R. Ashwin has Lyon a better strike rate and a slightly better average as well. A lot mentioned about Lyon being the, the GOAT and, and having the most wickets for an off-spinner. Do you feel like that Ravi Ashwin is maybe slightly underrated now because of all of the attention that Nathan Lyon has been getting over the last couple of years? Oh, definitely. And also, like, Nathan Lyon has bowled more overs than any other bowler in the last decade. So he bowls a lot of overs. And, I mean, I enjoy watching Nathan Lyon more than most other bowlers. And Ashwin is the same. Uh, I think with Ashwin, what's really happened is he's never had that breakaway series away from home. Like, where he's had one full series where he's, like, you know, won matches for India or just been consistent. But the last 18 months, if you look at his record, uh, he's been... He's, especially since the last Adelaide Oval Test in 2018, he's been way more consistent than he was in the past. And it's been a criticism that's always been leveled against him, maybe fairly to an extent. He, his numbers uh, away from home haven't been the best. It's also, it's kind of unfair because his numbers at home have been extraordinary. Mm. Like, you know, he's like run through sides, all comers. So uh, I guess it also has to do with the fact that Nathan Lyon has... Uh, won test matches for Australia or set up wins in pretty much every condition there is away from home. Uh, and Ashwin's getting there. But this Ashwin, like, you know, you, and with Ashwin, it's always about rhythm and, and body language as well. Like, he just feels like uh, he, he's just like chomping on at the bits to get the ball in his hand. And that's the Ashwin. Uh, that's the most dangerous type of our Ashwin, especially if you're an opposition batsman. Uh, and, and yeah, he's getting his own back now. Our producers have given us the wind-up about the spin bowling chat. So we'll, let's move on and, and look forward to the rest of the series and the Boxing Day test in Melbourne starting December 26. Uh, that's Boxing Day for um, Antipodean punters. Uh, what do you think the the impact or the mental impact of a loss like, like that will have on the Indian side? And what are your expectations for them in terms of their ability to bounce back for Melbourne? Um, I mean, look, not having someone as inspirational as Virat Kohli, as obvious as this sounds, uh, will, will be a big loss. But Ajinkya Rahane is quietly aggressive in his own way. I mean, not just because he's a karate black belt and all that, which <laughs> he was as a child. Uh, but he, he has his own way of captaining teams. He uh, also believes a lot in, um, uh, like, you know, putting an arm around his teammate's shoulders, really being very, very encouraging on the field. He might not be as emotive as Virat Kohli when he's captaining the side, but he has his own very affirmative uh, style of, uh, of, of captaincy. But, but the thing is, I, I'm not ruling India out of the series this early, purely because they, they dominated 60, 65% of that first test. And then it just came down to those 92 minutes of madness that we've spoken about uh, a lot. So I still think... Uh, it depends a lot on the toss. If India can bat first and get some runs on the board, batting will be a lot easier here as compared to the Adelaide Oval against the pink ball. This is something that they will are uh, used to a lot. They have good memories, like I said, of the boxing. The bowling without Shami is, for me, is a bigger concern than the batting because he's been the enforcer for a while. Uh, but well, we don't know what Siraj is like at the test level, so maybe he'll produce something which we don't expect. So, but I'm not ruling India out this early in the, in the piece. And looking ahead to those other tests, you, you said um, about Rohit, Rohit Sharma before. 
I saw a little article, bef- um, I think I was reading something yesterday saying that this might actually, this COVID outbreak might rule him out because he's stuck in, in Sydney. Is that, has you heard any more about that? Nah, I mean, um, I'm about to write a piece on that, guys. But yeah, no, I'll just give you a little heads up. No, no, no. I don't think he's ruled out for the series. Oh, nice. uh, once he is done with this quarantine, I think he will. He should be available for the third test, uh, depending on if he passes the fitness test, which was made very clear by the BCCI. Mm. So if he is fit, I would think he comes in, depending on what happens in Melbourne. Like if everybody scores runs, then I'm sure they won't force Rohit into the setup. But uh, yeah, having someone with his experience, um, and he's not really had great tours of Australia in the past. Uh, they've been a bit up and down. So if India fail again, then Rohit Sharma might be that savior. But I don't think a series is over yet. And and um, I guess the the COVID stuff. We don't want to ruin your, your you know break your story too much. But um, is has there been any more chat around kind of the the potential of moving tests and you know what the contingency plans might be? Ah, it's all up in the air, and, and I know yeah. I'm sounding like a cricket administrator myself. There, but <laughs> it really is like there have been so many theories floated around, and uh, you know, could whether it is like you know shifting the Brisbane sh- uh, te- or advancing the Brisbane test and making it the third test and going to Sydney or keeping it in Melbourne or keeping going back to Adelaide, which I would appreciate. I've not been home too long at all. Every time I go home, they ask me to leave. So, <laughs> so I would appreciate that. But I think, I think Cricket Australia would like to keep the third test in Sydney. Uh, but what exactly happens? I think we'll have to wait for at least three or four more days. Uh, the, the good signs in out of Sydney, the number of cases are reducing, which is good, like overall. Um, so yeah, I think we'll have to wait two or three more days for that. And finally, before we move on from the Boxing Day test in Melbourne, no Virat Kohli, no Mohamed Shami. Who are the key X-Factor players that have to step up for India? And what's your prediction for the outcome of the Melbourne test, if you'd care to give one? <laughs> um, well, I have been very bad with predictions. I predicted <laughs> India would win the Adelaide Oval test, which I thought I was well on track of getting it right on day the morning of the third day but well you know what happened after that but um, I still think Prithvi Shaw will be persisted with and he could be the X factor because India back him to give them the kind of starts that will like you know if he bats for half an hour you've seen him bat before he Mm. will make 50 runs Mm. Uh, it's just a question of hopefully he can get a little bit of luck early on uh, not get an unplayable delivery I still think he's an X factor on the top uh, Ravindra Jadeja will transform this team on the field and just with the energy he brings with bat ball uh, in the field for sure. Um, and, you know, it's all up to Rahane now. Like, he, it is his team. Like, he, he's the red ball captain of the tour. So, his series as captain begins now. Uh, and he looked in good touch in that first inning before the run-out ruined everything. So, uh, yeah, Captain Rahane, so much talk of Virat. Captain Rahane might hold the key uh, with the bat. Uh, and, well, I guess, um, uh, can we speak about our Ashwin more? I don't think so before the <laughs> producer comes after me. <laughs> but, yeah, the way Ashwin bowling is a great sign for India, uh, considering the, the way the MCG and SCG pitches have played in the last few years. Oh, you, you can talk about spin as, mu- as much as you want. We, we, just, <laughs> we just block that, that noise out. Um, but, but, but before we let you go, I mean, there are a couple of things from your back catalogue that we're, we're really keen to talk about. We, um, we mentioned in the intro that you wrote a book titled The Dhoni Touch. I mean... I guess the biggest question I have is, is what was that experience like writing a book about, you know, someone who's 
one of the most famous and popular people in a country of a billion people. Like, did, did you feel pressure? Uh, yeah, I, in fact, there was pressure, but not so much because I was writing about someone so famous, but more because he was such an enigmatic fellow. Mm. Uh, and you know, thankfully, I, I would not say he's my, he was my friend, but I knew him a little bit here and there, like, you know, from all my cricket touring days. And nobody can really say that they know MS Dhoni well, which was the biggest challenge I had to overcome. Uh, but thankfully, he was, uh, he obviously didn't give me an interview, but he helped me get in touch with the three or four people who know the real MS Dhoni. And there are only three or four people in this whole world who know him really, really well, yeah. which really helped. So for me, it was more about, um, getting those elements, like, you know, I gave myself a challenge to say, okay, I'm going to explain uh, not who MS Dhoni is, but more about why he does the things he does, because he's so different to any Indian cricketer before or after him, and just very different to any Indian before or after him. I think that was the biggest challenge. Uh, you know, once you put MS Dhoni on the cover, guys, the book will sell at least the first <laughs> few copies. <laughs> but I'm really glad that people have found it interesting and uh, even today someone was tweeting about it so it really does put a smile on my face because it was a big big task writing a book especially when I was writing anyway uh, back then for the newspaper uh, for a day job but uh, I think it, it worked out well and I think I know MS Dhoni a little better than what I did before the book. Yeah and I mean are there any favorite stories that you kind of uncovered from your research? Oh, I mean, there were there, there were plenty. Uh, I guess both on and off the field. Like on the field, for me, the one story that really stood out for me was you know in two thousand seven eight in Australia in that tri series when um, India are just about to win an ODI against Australia at the MCG. It's a small run chase, uh, and he calls a young Rohit Sharma who is batting with, and he says, "We are not going to celebrate this win." He calls someone uh, uh, pretends to be calling for a change of gloves, tells the dressing room, we are not going to celebrate this win. Like, you know, this is like the greatest thing ever because <laughs> Australia at that point were indomitable, right? So every time Australia lost, they almost treated us as, as an upset. And this was MS Dhoni quietly sending a message to the Australians saying, look, we've just won a cricket game, like, you know, which we've dominated from start to end. It's not a big deal. So in fact, he'd even told Roy Sharma that, uh, you know, when the teams exchange uh, handshakes, just hold your hand very feeble, like don't like, you know, give them a firm handshake and just look straight through them. Almost like, you know, it's just a matter of fact when, so that like, you know, he would do strange things like that, which at the moment wouldn't make sense. But later on, when you think about it, uh, like, you know, you would get the rationale behind it. And in that same series, the way he, the Australians kept sledging some of the Indian players and uh, one of them said, like when one of them gave it back, the senior Australian player said, oh, show me some respect, mate. Do you know who I am? And then after that, every time that particular batsman walked out to bat, he would get all the Indian young Indians to hang around. The batsman just keeps saying, respect, 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 respect. Like, if you want respect, we'll give you respect. So he he led India in very in, in a very strange fashion. <laughs> like, uh, you know, it at times, like I said, people were bemused by what he was doing. But I was, I'm, I was glad I could bring that side of him and kind of explain why he was doing these things. And off the field as well, I guess, uh, his interest in the military, which... Um, I'd heard about, people have spoken about a lot, but when you actually dig in and you find out that it, it's not a jingoistic love, it's not like India should win every war, like, you know, it's not that side. Mm. It's actually about how he, deep inside, he wanted to be a soldier. 
and just how he would be with the soldiers in the camps that he would visit. And, and just the fact that the first thing he ever did when he went, visited an army camp was go and stand at the sentry post because that's generally given to the junior most officer and you're guarding the rest of the camp at night. So you are responsible for the safety of the whole camp, even though you're junior most. Mm. So things like that um, for me really stood out more than just his batting and his keeping and everything else. Oh, I mean, he's definitely, you know, even from afar, he's one of the most interesting characters of, you know, of recent times for, for cricket fans. I mean, he, he copped a lot of stick during and I guess after this latest IPL. Do you think he can bounce back? Because, I mean, it, f- it would feel like a real shame if he didn't somehow find a way to go out on top. Yeah, I know. He will find a way to go out on top. Trust me on that. Like he's, yeah. um, I mean, his life has been all about timing. He's picked his moments really, really well. I guess, yes. I mean, maybe has he like outlasted his uh, uh, welcome a bit with uh, some Indian fans will tell you that, but, you know, regardless of where the next IPL is played, whether it's in India or the UAE, he would want to bow out with an IPL in India. Mm -hmm. So that would be his perfect dream. And, you know, the way his life has been, I wrote that piece when he officially announced his retirement a few months ago, uh, it's all about timing and he will, eventually he will get the timing right is what I believe. So mm. yeah, don't like, you know, don't write him off as yet. Oh, absolutely not. Um, I mean, and I mean, I know you've, you've spoken about the story in the past, you, you type in uh, your name in, in Google and um, the story of Patrick Patterson comes up. I mean, but the journey that you went through to, to track down, uh, yeah, the former West Indian fast bowler, Patrick Patterson, six or seven years. I mean, it's, it's such a, a brilliant story. We can't have you on and, and not talk about it. I'll, I'll put a link to the show notes for for any listeners who who haven't read it because they absolutely absolutely should. But I mean, can you can you kind of explain why what and what made you set out on on this mission to track him down? Well, firstly, thanks guys, thanks for the kind words. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it was just you know my first tour to the Caribbean. That name Patrick Patterson had always stuck with me. I didn't watch much of him. I was too young to watch him at his peak, which was like for two or three years in the late eighties, in the early nineties. I watched a bit of him, but uh, you know, the fact that um, I, when I went there for the first time, nobody knew where he was. Like, you know, people would say random things. He was lost in the bush and this and that, but nobody had seen him. This is what got me really, really intrigued. And um, I mean, like I write in the piece, I, every time I went there, subsequently, I get caught, I it became like a mission for me in life, weirdly. <laughs> so the next time around, of course, I met his parents. And when I found them in some little village in central Jamaica, and when they told me that they had no idea where he was, I was like, well, I don't know why, but I think I need to find this guy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, yes, I mean, like a lot of people have spoken about the story. And of course, I guess it's, it's kind of become my uh, claim to fame in a way. But for me, uh, what that story did was, like much more than what like you know i wrote the fact that i could become a window into the world for someone forget about the fact that he was a famous cricketer at one point but just the fact that he's been literally living by himself for 25 years with no window into the outside world like not knowing what is happening in the world the fact that subsequently ever since i wrote that story and i met him I've, i've been able to become that window like whether it's telling him about the virus or explaining to him what social media is or just talking to him about like you know his own feats and I still spend a lot of time uh, speaking to him on the phone checking up on him and finding different ways of helping him get his memory back like uh, uh, you know one thing I did discover a few months ago is if I start reading out scoreboards to him like matches that he was a part of 
it when i take names of players it kind of helps him get some memory back so for me it's almost like you know i owe a lot to him you know in a strange way like you know we we share a very strange relationship i guess but one that i really really cherish and uh, you know i mean that's what we all live for right to bring a change in somebody's life and if you're able to do that like what better than that so yes the story was great like i really enjoyed doing it the interesting characters that i met on route to finding him which i'll mention all of them in the piece but it has become much more than that uh, since then. Oh, I'm, I'm really pleased that that was going to be my follow-up, really, because it sort of had, um, when I'm reading the article, I don't know if you've seen the movie Searching for Sugar Man. It, it, felt, it felt like that, where um, it's about the, the musician Rodriguez and kind of he became this viral sensation in South Africa from a, a, a cassette tape. And, uh, and, you know, he was just living in Detroit and he didn't know that this was happening and, yeah, he, you know, it wasn't quite the same as, as Patrick's story, but, you know, similar sort of story where he was just, I guess, living a loner life and something was going on outside of, of his control and all these stories were floating around similar to, to Patrick about what, um, you know, uh, that he died in these um, terrible accidents and, and all these things. And, and then when they finally did track him down, he was really unaware of them. So I'm really pleased that to know that, um, you know, you've you've managed to maintain that relationship. That's That's fantastic. Oh, thanks so much, guys. Yeah, I have I'm not watched the movie, but a lot of people have told me that uh, there are similarities between the story, like the, what what I wrote about Patterson and and the movie. But uh, it's something which has always been on my radar to watch. I oh, almost watched it like three weeks ago, actually, when I was uh, or last month when I was home. But someday I will make time for a time out for it. But yeah, thank you so much for like you know just talking about the the part that like you know where the relationship that we formed about uh, with each other after the story. I mean, that's, that is journalist Bharat Sundaresan, but I, I'll be honest, even while I was um, talking to him, like, you know, while I was there with him uh, for after a point, it didn't really matter whether I was going to write the story or not. Mm. And, and I've always said that the reason and I've been very uncomfortable writing, bringing me into the story, like, you know, saying, using the word I in any story, because as journalists, we're just, chroniclers right it's not about us the only reason i did that was to avoid people just forming opinions about the man like and i wanted it to be about me finding him not oh look this is patrick Patterson. this is the state he's in because then people just jump to conclusions about uh, him and i thought that would have been unfair so yeah i mean it's it's been a uh, like a very interesting journey like you know finding him and also like i said since since finding him the bond we've formed Oh yeah, I think as I said before, I think you did a, a wonderful job of it, and I, and I think that's a, that's probably a, a great way to to wrap up the podcast. I mean, um, but before we do that, I mean, are you working on anything? You mentioned that the story that you're working on right now, but I mean, are you, are you working on anything big that you'd like to give a shout out to, or um, you know, do you want to just uh, let people know where they can find you and your work? Ah uh, well, I, I I'm not working on anything major right now the, my focus is on this series and uh, uh basically uh, i think I've, i'm done with road trips before for this summer really. i don't want to be making any more escapes from one state to the other uh, i got my covid test done yesterday and it came negative so few thank god for that uh but um yeah i mean they can find my work on on Crick bus which is who i write for these days but um, i'm always popping up uh, here and there, like, you know, telling stories on whether it's on radio or TV. I'm doing some work for SEN uh, during the series, doing commentary. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's it, thank you for having me on. And it, it was great fun catching up 
with you guys and next time i'm in new zealand i'm going to definitely we're going to get together and talk spin aren't we that sounds fantastic that's that's music to my ears but at sundarasan uh, thank you very much for your time on the top order podcast thank you so much guys have a great evening thanks for tuning in to the top order podcast before you disappear from our feed if you're a new listener please do go and check out the back catalog we've spoken recently to New Zealand coach Gary Stead. We've got Graham Thorpe. We've got Shane Dietz. We've got Barry Richards, Shane Bond, Colin Miller, all in the back catalogue. You can find the details www.thetoporderpodcast.com with a Top Order Podcast on Instagram, although we're still really figuring that out. We're at Top Order Pod on Facebook and Twitter. So don't be shy to jump on, give our tweets a share or a retweet, and we'll see you next week.